Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we're in this series, Life on Mission, and uh, in this series, we've been basically, it's a challenge from Jesus Christ for us to understand our destiny, to understand our, our purpose here on this wor- in this world. Why are we here? Why are we breathing in 2,000 gallons of air every single day? Is it just to basically be born and, and live and get a career and eventually die, retire and die? Is that, is that why we exist? No, we exist to be on mission, and that's what we've been talking about, living our life on mission. Last week we kicked it off with, or two weeks ago we kicked it off with a kind of introductory kind of overview, and then last week we talked about the, one of the five actions of living a life on mission, which was connecting with people. That you and I are invited by Jesus Christ to connect with people, especially lost people. Jesus loved the lost. There's an old song of the church, a hymn of the church. Some of you might be familiar with it. Hold the fort. Remember that song? Any of you brave enough to raise your hand and say, I remember that song, Hold the Fort, because it's, it's a song. It's from way back, right? And... Um, <clears throat> And that, and, and that song, I mean, I understand this idea, you know, of, and I know that the song's not necessarily saying this, but this idea that, that we, we become a Christian, we become a follower of Jesus Christ, and then we, we kind of get behind the, the walls of the fort because they're attacking us, you know, and we got to protect the fort, we got to hold the fort, and the fact is, is that's not really what the gospel is all about. Yes, we do live in an evil world. We live in a world that, that doesn't want the church to prosper, doesn't want the church to move ahead. We understand that. That's true. But the posture of the church is not to hold the fort. The posture of the church is to be advancing. The posture of the church is actually to go out into the world. And so Jesus did exactly that. That was the mission that he did. He went into the world. Jesus loved lost people. Last week we said this. Jesus was drawn to people who were nothing like him. People who were lost, the tax collectors, the sinners, those were the people that he hung out with. And people who were nothing like Jesus adored him. They wanted to be around him. He connected with them. Jesus was a friend to sinners. And if Jesus was a friend to sinners, I imagine that when he calls you and I to be on mission, he invites you and I to be friend to sinners as well, to love them, to connect with them. Today we're going to talk about our second action in living a life on mission. That's the word serve, serve. It's this idea of going, migrating from, like if we're connected with somebody, we're developing relationship with somebody, wanting to get to know them so that we can pray for them, so we can love them. But it's this idea that, that um, when we serve, it's kind of moving from friends or acquaintances to family, that's what service does. There's nothing more powerful, nothing, nothing that makes your relationship deeper than when you, when you meet somebody, you get to know somebody, you start serving that person. Jesus is a classic model for us on this. In fact, it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus has been very clear about his mission. He says, for even the Son of Man, he calls himself the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, did not come to be served like he is the king. 
right? He's the Lord. He's the one. The reason why all of us are here this morning, raising our hands in worship, singing songs is not for, for each other. We're doing it for him, for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, our Savior, right? That's why we are worshiping. We worship him. But it says he's speaking of himself. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came, was to serve. This is such a powerful verse, actually, because the very reason why you and I are able to even be here today is because we were once, we were first served. The Father sent his Son to die on a cross so that you and I could have life, full life, eternal life. He served us. And so if Jesus did that, then we are called into the same thing. Now, the needs in our world are huge. Like right now, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe, maybe your own neighbor is feeling hopelessness and despair. Maybe they've got this thing going on in their head where they're, they're even asking themselves, what's the purpose of even living anymore? In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of this going on. The suicide rate has increased. People feel despair. People feel hopelessness. And maybe you have a neighbor right now that's feeling that way. Or maybe it's a freshman college student that is trying to get acclimated to being here in this environment here at the University of Iowa, and they're a little bit afraid, and they're a little bit lonely. Or maybe it's elderly people. The last couple of years has been difficult for the elderly, especially those who are in nursing homes or those who are in assisted living. It's been very, very difficult for them. A lot of loneliness, a lot of disconnection, a lot of sense of like, you know, I mean, we're just not connected to them. We can't see family. We can't be around people. Or maybe it's a single mom in your neighborhood trying to figure out how to raise her kids, how to make ends meet, how to work full-time job and get sitter, babysitters and, you know, figure out how to, you know, meet with the, the father or you know, get them to connect and be with the kids and all this, all this stuff that goes with that. And then when she lays her head down at night to, to sleep, she's like, just tired, trying to figure out where do I get the strength and the energy to, to just go another day. The needs in our world are huge and God wants to meet people right where they are. And he will. But here's the deal, the way God meets those needs He's not going to go to your neighbor who's maybe has some suicidal tendencies or, or thoughts. He's not going to go to your neighbor himself, show up at the door and say, hey, I am Jesus, by the way, don't do that. The way he does it is through you and me. He's called you and I to serve our neighbors, to serve people that are, that are hurting and needy. That's what Jesus has done. So you and I are invited on this mission to serve. And this is a parable in, in Matthew chapter 25, the latter part of Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is kind of painting this picture of like judgment, of the end of end times, you know? And, he, and in this image that he's painting, he's talking about the nations and he's gonna separate the nations by sheep and goats, right? So that's the image. I don't really fully understand the significance of sheep and goats. Maybe one's a little bit meeker, the other one's a little bit, honor or I don't know what the word reasoning is exactly for that separation but there's a sheep and the goat and they're separated these nations are separated the sheep inherit heaven the goats inherit eternal punishment this 
parable is talking about eternal destinies and the realities of heaven and hell. What's interesting, the criteria by which Jesus separates them, though. Look what it says in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. I'm just kind of condensing this because it's not really what I'm going to be talking about today. But uh, I am going to be talking about this, but not this passage per, per se. It says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. He's talking to the sheep here. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. This is all about serving. And she says, you are blessed of my father. You get to inherit the kingdom because I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Now, let me clarify something here. Jesus is not saying that your works are going to save you. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are here this morning, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the natural outflow of that relationship results in serving your neighbor. It should. The natural outflow of my relationship with Jesus is that I will serve those around me. I love the response later on. It's not in the passage I just read, but later down, further down, um, the sheep responded. Jesus was like, when? I don't remember that. I mean, I think I would have remembered, you know, if it was Jesus, when did that happen? I don't remember serving you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, because you've served the least of these, you've served me. I love this. One of my favorite um, songwriters, musicians, he's from a while back, his name is Michael, Michael Card. If you, if you want, yeah, he's good stuff, right? All the gray hairs are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. But um, he, he's, he's amazing. He is absolutely amazing. If you, if you want to get a full, if you want to get a full understanding of the measure of Christ and who Christ is, and you want to really, you really want to, to, to explore that in the form of worship, in the form of song. Listen to Michael Card, he's awesome. But he has a song called Jesus in His Distressing Disguise. And he's talking about this very thing. Mother Teresa says that when a follower of Jesus serves a person, the poor, serves a person in need, when a follower of Jesus serves a person in need, when the two come together, they both disappear and only Jesus is visible. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. That when you've served me, when you serve them, you've served me. So our focus verse for this, uh, for this week on service, on serving is Matthew 25, 40. And it goes like this. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you serve the least of these, you're actually serving Christ. There's a mysticalness about it. I don't understand it fully, but I know it's true that when we serve people who are needy and hurting and whatever it might be, their situation might be, that somehow Jesus is present right there. Amen. I want to look at a different parable today. <clears throat> um, this one's found actually in Luke. And it's the title of the parable is actually familiar to us because in our culture, we, we use this language actually. Not Christian, it's just language that we use. Like for example, if somebody's driving down the road and you see somebody on the side of the road who's got a flat tire, and you see them, them struggling, you pull over, that person that pulls over is what? You say, what, what would we call that person? A good Samaritan, right? 
right? That's the language that we use. Now, we may not know. Maybe you've never been to church before, and you say, yeah, he's a good Samaritan, but you have no idea where that comes from. Well, that comes from this particular parable found in Luke chapter 10. It's actually in a couple of other places too, but it, this, this particular parable in Luke chapter 10 is a parable of the good Samaritan, right? Now, what's interesting, though, we're going to talk about this. Is, I think if you understand, if you know the parable, you'll know that this parable, parable is about serving. But what's really powerful is the context of how this parable, why Jesus tells this story. Why is Jesus trying to convince us that we need to serve others? What's he trying to say here? The context is really interesting. What it is is that there's a lawyer, an expert in the law, who wants to basically trap Jesus in his words. He wants Jesus to say something that's blasphemous or contrary to the law, and if he could do that, then, then he's trapped. And look what it says in Luke 10, verse 25. He says, on one occasion, so there's a, this moment where Jesus is like walking around with, you know, doing ministry. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is a lawyer in their, in their day, a person, who, a person who, uh, who was an expert in the law of Moses, essentially, because that was a rule of the land. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He wants to, they're jealous. They, they're, they're envious of Christ. I mean, Jesus is like, he, 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 you know, he's got all these people following him and there's these experts in the law, these people who actually know a lot about what Jesus did as well, but they didn't think he did. They think he was crude. They thought he was, uh, they thought he hang, hung out with sinners and tax. He was less than in their mind. And so they're jealous. They're trying to get him out of the picture so they want to trap him. Verse 25 says, this is the question he asked. Teacher, he said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A very valid question. A question that all of us will ask at some point in our life. What do I need to do to get to heaven? That's a question that people ask even now if they're struggling, if they're going through life, if life doesn't make sense to them, if it feels like there's too much suffering, too much discomfort, too much difficulty in life, they'll say, what, does heaven, what is heaven like for me? What will it be like? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's asking this question of Jesus. And he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's trying to trap Jesus, right? Now, a good trial lawyer, he would never ask a question without actually knowing the answer. Right? And every good Jewish boy knew the answer to this question. What do you have to do to inherit eternal life? They all knew, right? They all knew the answer. And so he's just basically, he's being a little bit rhetorical here, but he's just trying to trap Jesus in his words. Verse 26, Jesus responds. He says, kind of turns the tables back on him. He says, what is written in the law? Like, you're an expert in the law. You're an expert in the law. What does the law say about how you inherit eternal life? You tell us, right? And so this crafty lawyer is gonna try to trap Jesus and so he decides to say something to Jesus that is a combination of two passages in the Old Testament from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. He's gonna say something back to Jesus that he thinks Jesus would actually say. Maybe he's even heard Jesus say this before, right? And so this is how he responds. He's trying to trap Jesus. Remember, he's trying to trap him. You see, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter six. He said, love God with everything inside you, with your whole being, love God. And everybody in the audience that's listening, because there's an audience now, they're like, good job. That's a right answer. That's how, you, that's how you get into heaven. That's how you inherit eternal life, by loving God with your entire being. And then he adds... And love your neighbor as yourself. This is found in Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives this answer. Now let's see what Jesus, 
will say to incriminate himself. And here's how Jesus responds, very plain. He says, you have answered correctly. Like a bell rang, ding, 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 good job. <laughs> you answered correctly. You got the right answer. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And here, when he says this, do this and you will live, he's implying that um, you know what it is intellectually, but you're not actually doing it. So much so that this lawyer decides, I gotta defend myself, so he says in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, here's a question, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I don't know if the trap initially was to ask Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life, if that was a trap, or if the actual, the actual trap that they were gonna bring was, who's my neighbor? Like, define neighbor. This was actually a very valid question for their time and day because they were a very exclusive society. To, to, to relate to one another, you had to do it via the law of Moses, and there was a lot of ceremonial things that you had to do. You had to be ceremonially clean. You had to be upright, you know, and that's how you related. That's why there were tax collectors and sinners, a category out there that you wouldn't identify with them. You wouldn't hang out with them. And so this question of who's my neighbor was a very relevant question for them. So I imagine the people are like pressing in. They want to know, wow, how is Jesus going to answer this question? Like, who is my neighbor? And that little word there, neighbor, is in the Greek is actually one who is near. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very general word. Like one who is near could mean like, you know, like my immediate family. It could mean, um, you know, the neighbor just right down the street. Maybe it means, you know, somebody, a countryman in a far, far, far away town. Or does it, does it mean, you know, a, a, a Gentile, somebody who's not even a countryman? Who is my neighbor? So the crowd is pressing in. They want to know the answer to this question. Who is our neighbor? And so Jesus responds. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. <laughs> I, love, I love Jesus, and he's masterful at communicating because it's like, let me tell you a story. That's what Jesus is gonna do, right? So who's my neighbor? They just want a straight up answer, right? Like, who's my neighbor? Like, they wanted Jesus to say something like, well, you know, your, your countryman is a neighbor. Your, 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 your friend who is ceremonially clean, that's your neighbor. No, that guy over there, the Gentile, no, that's not your neighbor. That's really what they wanted to hear. Jesus launches into a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I mean, I love this. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna tell this story and these people are going to hear this story and they're going to walk away with clarity of who is our neighbor, who is our neighbor, and what does it mean to serve our neighbor. He goes on. He says in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a very treacherous journey down, down towards the valley, Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. It's likely to happen on this journey back in those days. There's paved roads now, but back then it was more of a path. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus is painting a picture of a man who has basically been beaten up, left for dead, and he's left for dead because they think that maybe if he's alive, he's just gonna get eaten up by wild animals. 
Now remember, when Jesus tells parables, he's telling parables in a way for us to listen to what he's saying and say, I identify with that. I understand that. That's me in the story, right? That's how he's telling this parable. And so this scenario that he paints of this man who's gone from Jerusalem to Jericho is very applicable for us today. It represents people who have left God and fallen into the trap of sin. And they they fall into the trap of sin and they think it's pleasurable for a season. It feels good. It feels right. It's enjoyable until it takes its toll on you. And then you're left for dead on the side of the road. I mean, sin is pleasurable, but it always ends up in disaster. So verse 31, Jesus is telling the story of a person who is basically on the side of the road, hurting, dying, Verse 31, a priest, he introduces a character. So there's one character who's on the side road that needs help. Introduces another character, a priest, a holy man, ceremonially clean. Maybe, you know, maybe he's just, maybe he's coming from the temple. He's on his way to Jericho. He's coming from the temple. He has spent time with God. This is who Jesus is portraying right now, a priest, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road when he, and here's a very important word, he saw the man. So the priest sees him, okay? He saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. There's a lot of things we don't know about this story. We don't know what he was actually thinking. We don't know why he was going down to to Jericho. We don't know that. But we do know this, is that he saw the man. He sees him. And then he comes up with a reason to not stop and help the man, okay? That's what we know. I, I don't know why. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he was thinking that if I stop and help this guy, maybe what's going to happen is those robbers, those thieves are going to attack us, and then we will be their victims as well. Maybe that. Maybe, and probably more likely, is that he sees a man on the side of the road, and in his mind is, if you're good with God, this would not have happened to you. Maybe in his mind, he's thinking, you, you must have sinned. This is why this has happened to you. This is God's judgment upon you. This is why this is happening to you because you have sinned and God is judging you. Maybe that's what it was, but he just passes by on the other side. What we do know is that he sees the man. Verse 32, and it was the second character. So too, a Levite. Not quite the priest, but respected. And in fact, they were very respected. You'd say a Levite in a conversation, they'd be like, ooh, a Levite. Yeah, like, interesting, right? And so Jesus is introducing these characters, he introduces a Levite. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, and here's our word, saw him. Saw him. He passed by on the other side. Again, we can't say what he thought, but maybe he was too busy. Sometimes busyness keeps us from serving people. Maybe he thought, yeah, I don't have time. I see his knee, but I don't have time to stop. And he just moved on. We don't know, but what we do know is that he saw the man. And then in verse 33, he introduces another character, but a Samaritan. <laughs> I love this. Remember as kids when you would be like, and even adults do this too, but there's these games that you can play, pictorial type games like, what does not belong? You ever seen those? Like there's three pictures and there's which one belong, which ones goes, you know, what, what's there some correspondence between a couple of the images, you know? What does not belong? 
And so this is clearly one of those instances where Jesus is painting a picture and he presents three characters and one definitely does not belong. He was a Samaritan. He was a half-breed. He was a, a foreigner for the Jewish, for a priest and a Levite. He was, they, would, they were called, the, the Jewish, the Jews called them dogs. They were lower class people. They were people that didn't really associate. They even had a little bit of variation on beliefs in terms of how they believed in God and the Messiah and all those kind of things. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he, what's our word? Saw him. When he saw him. These are three or two different categories of people. Priest and a Levite, holy, righteous, church-going people, and a Samaritan, a dog, a half-breed. And they, they're different. Nothing in common. Nothing in common between them. But what's in common is that they all saw the same thing, and there was different responses to it. It says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. In other words, when he saw him, instead of going to, into these like mental gyrations of trying to figure out, you know, should I stop, should I not stop, what should I do? He decides to stop. He takes pity on the person. He does something completely different than what the others did. You see, maybe this Samaritan identified with a guy on the side of the road. Maybe this Samaritan who was actually down in Judea, by the way, he's not up in Samaria where he, that's his country. He's a trader, he's a businessman. We don't know exactly who he was. But he understands that being an outcast. He understands not being wanted. He understands being rejected. And maybe that's what caused him to stop. I don't really know. What, why he stopped. But what we do know is that he, there's a completely different response than what these other two did. And then verse 34, he says, when he, he, he went, verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds. This is a very dangerous thing to do, to stop actually to help the stranger. Pouring on oil and wine, he takes his own oil, he takes his own wine, and he basically you know, does medical care for this guy. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Have you ever tried to lift a limp body? <laughs> like I have grandkids, and once my grandkids are like three years old or a higher, they're like, Dad, pops, carry me. I'm like, no, you're too heavy. I don't want to carry you. It's just a lot of effort, right? And so this guy picks up this guy and puts him on his donkey to carry him off. It's a lot of effort there. And what I'm trying to say to all of us here this morning is that when we choose to serve somebody, there's going to be risk involved. There's going to be cost involved. There's going to be effort involved. You cannot serve somebody without risk, cost, and effort. That's exactly what this Samaritan does. The story is taken on an extreme set of circumstances, and Jesus masterfully, with intent, tells this story. This crowd is on pins and needles. I mean, they're like in suspense Verse 35, it says the next day he took, he took out two silver coins, which I, I imagine when, they, when he said that, here's this Samaritan who's, they were already looking down on the guy. He helps this guy. They take out these, he takes out these two silver coins and they're like, what? Really? I mean, that's like enough money to house this guy for an entire month at the end that he was gonna stay. You, you actually, you don't even know the guy. You're gonna actually do this for this guy? Doesn't even make sense. And they're surprised. They gasp at it. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for, for any expense you, have, you may have 
any extra expense you may have. <clears throat> and then he turns to his lawyer, and in true cross-examination style, he basically says this in verse 36. Which of these three, talking about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Let me ask it a different way. Which of these three, which of these three guys acted neighborly? Which of these three guys loved somebody else the way they want to be loved? Which of the, for our purposes, which of these three guys actually served a person in need? And this guy responds. He probably mumbled it, by the way. It probably, it probably took everything in him to, say, to give this answer. He says, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus responds to him and says, go and do likewise. Basically repeating what he had already told him before. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Go and serve someone in need. Listen, saved people serve people. Saved people, if you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no possible way that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and refuse to serve people in need around you. Saved people will serve people. And that's a challenge for, for you and me today. You know, every day we're faced with opportunities to serve someone in need around us. Every day. And every day we may kind of go through this, you know, mental stuff trying to figure out, you know, should I, should I not? We rationalize it. We say we're too busy. We explain it away, right? Or maybe we say to ourselves, you know, are they worthy of being served? How often in the church we find ourselves in that, in that dilemma where we, we look at somebody and we say, we're not really sure if we should actually serve this person. They've taken advantage of the system too long. They've, they've offended, they've hurt, or whatever, and we, we're not sure if they're really worthy of being served. And so Jesus just challenges us. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, listen, just be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor and serve them. To live life on mission, to live life on mission, we will connect with people and we will serve them. Last week, I... Uh, I very briefly told you about Sister Leota Sleep, who, um, she's an older Pentecostal woman in our church. Back then, in 1980, 81, she was probably in her 70s, retired. And, uh, and you know what? I didn't, there was nothing in common between rich, 18-year-old Rich Green and Leota Sleep. That, nothing in common. I mean, sometimes she would talk in her Texas draw with her also her Christian language, her Texas draw with her Christian language, and I was like, I have no idea what she's saying. Like she was talking to me, and I just was didn't grow up in church, and I was not from Texas, so I was like, I have no clue what this woman is actually trying to tell me right now. Like I was sincere, I wasn't criticizing of her. I just don't know what she's saying, right? But Leota Slave was a greeter at this church Memorial Assembly of God, where we we went. My mom said we're going to go to church there, so we showed up. And we walked into church, my mom, Irene Vialta, with her five sons. She was a single mom raising five boys. And we walked in, and Leota Sleep saw us. We were, the, we were the person on the side of the road. And she was a good Samaritan. She said, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him. So she did. We were living with my uncle. 
which was just, his house was just a few blocks away from the, from the church where the church was. So my family, every Sunday morning, we'd get dressed and we'd walk to church from, from my uncle's house. But my mom, you know, we were living with my uncle, by the way, just so you know, this is a, um, it was my, my uncle and his wife and their three kids. And then my mom, my grandmother, and us five boys, all in a tiny little three-bedroom, one-bathroom house in Duncanville, Texas. And I know you might say, well, that's, don't Latinos all do that? Well, even Latinos don't want to live that way, right? And it's true. We, we were like, no, this is too crowded. Let's get out of here, right? And so, and so we were like, my mom was like, I got to get financed. So she managed to get, you went through some process and got some, some assistance, government assistance, and we ended up going to these government apartments in the south part of Dallas. And, uh, and Leota State found out that we were moving to these apartments, and so she, she, she knew. She, she knew that we were walking to church, and she knew that if, if she didn't intercept us, she was gonna, we, we would probably never come to church because there was no way. So she goes to my mom and says, hey, Irene, how are you going to get to church? My mom's like, well, you know, my mom's really industrious, and she's like, I'll just, I'll figure out a way, you know, and, but there was no way. She didn't drive. None of us drew, drove, and, and, and there was no buses or anything like that, so Leota said, well, I'll pick you up, and so every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, she would drive to our apartment and pick all five of, all six of us up, pack, her, pack us into that 1975 Ford Granada, and drive us to church for a year and a half. There's risk involved in serving. There's cost involved in serving. There's effort involved in serving. I wouldn't be standing here right now, I could say this with every conviction in my bones, in my heart, I would not be standing here this morning if it wasn't for Leota Slate who was a good Samaritan, saw somebody in need and said, I'm gonna stop and serve that person. So who will you serve? Who will you serve this week? So I think it's important for us because I think what happens is we get very, we're in a very busy society we're consumed, we're consumed with our work, we're consumed with our families, we're consumed with our ambitions, we're consumed with so many things that our everyday inner dialogue is all about me, 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 this, me, that, me, this, me, that, me, this, me, that. And Jesus just wants us to pause for a second and say, okay, stop with the me. Who's on the side of the road that you need to help? Who do you need to serve? I really want you to ask yourself that question. I'm asking myself that question because I could get in the same trap. I am in the same trap where I make excuses why I cannot serve. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> We're going to end our service the way we typically end our service with a song of worship. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is actually already working in your heart, maybe giving you a name or giving you a person or a neighbor. Maybe you don't even know that person. You don't know their name, but they're your neighbor. (laughs) And uh, you're being invited, you're being called to serve them. And so I want to challenge you to respond to that. The prayer teams are here left and right, and they'll pray with you about anything. They'll pray with you about your opportunity to serve somebody, but they'll pray with you if you're here this morning and you just want to simply give your life to Jesus for the very first time. They'll pray with you if, you if you're sick and you need healing in your body. They'll pray with you if you're here today and you've got a wayward child and you just want God to intervene and touch your child. And so they're here to serve you. I encourage you to step out and, uh, and, and let them pray with you. Let me just pray for us real quick. Father, 
I just wanna thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you that you're speaking to us right now, even right now, Holy Spirit, and challenging us to be good Samaritans, to serve those around us. We ask God that you would just help us. Holy Spirit, may we say yes to what you're speaking to our hearts right now in Jesus' name.